tuning in with Care Asia, bringing human stories to life. This is Tuning In by Care Asia, and I'm your host, Emily Fang. Recently, I got to speak with Debbie Watkins, the CEO and co founder of Lucy. She's lived in Cambodia, Laos, Indonesia, Bangladesh, and Singapore for a total of 18 years, and she's worked in 30 additional countries throughout Africa and Asia. You can say she's definitely seen the world. She co-founded Lucy, which is a digital financial services company that helps female entrepreneurs who are overlooked, underestimated, and unbanked. In total, they have 18 female investors and a very global team. There was something on the website that I loved, and it was, Lucy doesn't think like a bank. Lucy thinks like you. So I get to discuss with Debbie what that means, and ultimately, Lucy is basically here to give women control over their personal finance and financial futures. And their aim is to really help women become unstoppable by leveling the financial playing field. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited to be discussing this with you. Um, Paula has said great things, and she was like, we need to do a feature on Debbie because what she's doing is awesome. So for those who don't know about Lucy, maybe you can give some context around it. Maybe give your elevator pitch for those who don't know about Lucy yet. Sure. Well, Lucy is a financial services app that has been designed from the ground up to help women who want to start and grow their own businesses to become unstoppable. So essentially what we're doing is recognizing the very unique needs that female micro-entrepreneurs have across all socioeconomic divides and very carefully tailoring the products and services that they need at different stages of their growth trajectory. And we're looking in a really holistic way as well. So we're recognizing that it's not just about financial services. It's also about connections and networking and building other skills. And that combining all of these holistically is really what helps women to succeed. Mm. Yeah, you've mentioned that the general audience is for female entrepreneurs. Is it accessible to, I guess, just like someone maybe who isn't an entrepreneur, like someone who is just normal employee of a company, things like that? Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, yes. And I mean, because it's not just about entrepreneurship, but it's kind of recognizing also nowadays that we are all our own brand. The day of a job for life is over and people are always looking at ways to build their skills and also build their confidence as well. And so, yes, it's very much um, designed for all women. One of the things that we ultimately would be aiming to do further down the line is also to enable more affluent women who would like to invest in a small way in some growing businesses without actually being a direct angel investor. We'll be enabling these kind of things later as well. And so what we see is this being kind of self-perpetuating circle of people who want to pay it forward to other people in their communities, whether this is through just general advice or a kind word here and there or connecting people together on a marketplace. But initially what we've recognized is that many women in a range of different walks of life don't have access to responsibly priced financial services and because of this they're actually sort of not able to fulfill their potential. Yeah I think I love that idea because to me it sounds like it's a very like 
nurturing ecosystem that is built for mm-hmm. women who want to be entrepreneurs who necessarily can't get the loan or maybe women who have the money and want to give back to the society and it's just this ongoing wonderful circle of life <laughs> yes yes and uh, you know what we know of course is that women in general like to help other women to succeed yeah. and in corporate life as well and i think it's quite relevant what you're saying that it in corporate life it's tough for women as well right kind of there is still very much this gender divide in salary in recognition in feeling supported the way that you're spoken to or the way that other people behave to you and as all of these things kind of combine and so what we're aiming to do is kind of create this network where people who belong to Lucy actually feel that all the other people there have got their back. Mm, yeah, I love that. And so my initial reaction when I went to Lucy's website, I was like, this is very empowering because I felt like there was so much representation of every type of woman. And then I also noticed your team as well. A lot of them are women and they come from different regions. And you've also, I believe, found artists around the world to do portraits of the team. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you can give me some context around how you and your team came up with this vision for Lucy and what really is underneath like the tone and the branding of Lucy. Gosh, that's a long story. So I'm <laughs> try and make it short. There are three co-founders, which is myself, Luke and Hal. We all have lived and worked in Asia for many years. I've actually personally been here for 20 years now. My background is in financial inclusion. So I've very much been focused on helping financial institutions who serve underserved markets to develop their strategy around product development and delivery, but leveraging technology a lot as well. So I've lived in five countries and worked in about 35, I would say. And Luke had set up a tech company that was building apps and some of his clients' banks as well. Hal had a long background with the World Bank and was most recently the CEO of a bank in Myanmar. And we had all sort of independently been seeing similar things um, before we even knew each other, which was that, first of all, women are really underserved as far as access to financial services and tools that they need to help them succeed. Also, that women statistically tend to be more successful than average if they're given the same opportunities. And also that the banks and mainstream financial institutions are generally pretty bad at being customer-centric or really understanding what their customers need. It's very much a kind of generic take-it-or-leave-it type scenario. And so we'd all sort of seen this different stages in different locations, and it was just, I guess, chance introductions and so forth that we got connected and all realized that we thought the same thing. And that's kind of how the idea came about. It was like nobody else is doing this. You know, it's kind of well known as well that helping female entrepreneurs to succeed actually, of course, has a benefit for women and men, because if the business is more successful, women tend to put more of their profits back into the business. They put more into health and education and the community. And so actually it's sort of benefiting society as a whole. And so we say we'd all sort of recognize this and just thought, well, you know, nobody else is doing this not really clear why nobody else is doing it. Maybe they think it's too difficult or they're quite happy with just being complacent about what they're doing at the moment. And so we just decided to do it. 
Yeah, I think the fact that you stated that it is a difficult issue. It is. It is. There's a lot of barriers to entry. Um, it's not an easy issue to solve overnight. But the fact that, you know, you and your team are already tackling it is very exciting. Yeah. And I'm yeah, excited to see where you take it. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that you worked in financial inclusion as well. You know, while being in Asia and ensuring that the people's needs are met when it comes to, like, financial in- institutions or banking, what have been some of the I guess, like the barriers you've seen. I know banking has gone digitalized. Is it, you know, maybe lack of having like a phone or they're not getting the loans that they ask for? Like, what are the barriers for women that you've seen Um, in this sense? I think a number of things. I mean, one key thing, of course, which may be sort of conducive to this is that 98% of bank management is male. And so kind of understanding what women actually really need is not something that's really taken precedence, I think, in many places. As I say, I've also seen a lot of complacency in other countries where people have kind of got the opportunity to be customer-centric. They understand what the process is involved in being customer-centric, but it's not easy, right? It means you need to throw your preconceived notions out of the window You need to get out there into the field, if you like, and talk to real people, understand their real problems, and then come up with solutions that probably look nothing like the ones that you're offering right now. And so, you know, this is, I think, part of the thing is, like, people just haven't bothered doing it because they're doing fine at the moment, right? And so, in effect, this has a number of knock-on effects. I mean, there are cultural issues in different countries. So, for example, you know, in Indonesia, women can't go and get a, a loan from a bank without their husbands being present. In Myanmar, one of the things that Hal found is although women-owned businesses tended to be much better payers overall, they didn't have collateral because the collateral was typically land. That's all they had. And it was pretty much always in the name of their husband. So you've got a combination of different sort of things that go against women. I did also hear a small story about India where banks tend to prefer to give money or loans to male-owned small businesses because they feel that male-owned small businesses are more likely to take risks. That's ironic. (laughs) (laughs) And and the perception is that taking risks when you're a small business is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the opposite really is true. You know, it's women are actually more likely to pay their loans because they're less likely to take crazy risks. And so it's a combination of all of these things. It's perception. And I think as well that a lot of women tend to be much more humble about their achievements and what they're doing, you know, they're not as aggressive in selling themselves, perhaps. You know, common facts nowadays, of course, are that introverts make the best managers, and it's all about what you deliver, not what you talk about. But I think it's a combination of these things. You mentioned about mobile phones. Yes, that is also a challenge in more developing markets. There are many cases, of course, where people only have one phone per family or whatever. So that that's kind of more of a technology challenge, I would say, rather than a gender challenge in particular. So it's a combination over a number of different things. I was doing a workshop in Bangladesh not so long ago about customer-centric product design, and one of the financial institutions, actually, who was attending this training, which was organized by a global association, said, well, this customer-centric stuff, like, 
its work and why we're too busy to do this. Like, why do we need to put effort into being customer-centric? And these were their actual words. Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of, it does really sum it up a little bit, you know, is they're doing perfectly fine as they are. They're not really worried in many cases whether their financial services are actually helping their customers to be successful. And so it's quite a circle. And that's one that we're trying to break. Yeah, kind of going, you know, attaching my thoughts to the point you just made. I think businesses like that, that aren't customer centric, they're not very long term sustainable. Because when there are companies like yourself who, I'm taking this quote from your website as well, like Lucy doesn't think like a bank, Lucy thinks like you, right? So Mm -hmm. I I think that's such a powerful statement and that also kind of elongates the life of that business. And, you know, you have people who support this business and it's just a snowball effect because customers always go back to what they want and what they can connect to and what they appreciate. So, yeah, it's amazing. Yes, and I mean, you know, it's it's been interesting, of course, because mainstream financial institutions have been around for a very long time and we have seen in other countries, of course, that they're being knocked out of the way a little bit by a lot of the neo-banks that are coming in with kind of more tailored services in a way or more cost-effective services at the very least. And maybe they're kind of waking up or maybe not. I still think probably there's enough mainstream business, if you like, for for banks. But what we're actually seeing as well from our perspective is our strategy is not necessarily to go head on with the banks. Our strategy is to look in other countries, particularly at partnering with banks, Mm -hmm. and to say, look, we can do all of the bit that you don't want to do or don't know how to do. And in effect, what we'll do is we'll kind of use your license in a partnership model at the back end. And so the idea is it kind of gives everybody the best of both worlds. It means we don't have to go and try to get our own banking licenses. But it also means that we can take UC and everything it represents and take it to groups of women in other places to tailor it there to make it feel like it belongs to them. So from a language, from a product, from a market segment perspective, but it actually sort of has a, a consolidated effect to banks at the back end. So that's kind of our approach right now. We're not intending to knock banks out of the way. What we're intending to do is to deliver something that is not available right now, but to say that we can do it together with banks in a way that helps them to. I see, I see. And to kind of shake up the industry a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> awesome. yeah. And, you know, I mean, of course, the world is so global now and people so mobile. Well, they were until yeah. earlier this year. But, you know, there's a big opportunity for connecting people in different countries, of course, right? There are many people who have traveled overseas to work. I mean, Singapore, of course, is a great example with the foreign domestic workers, which is a, a particular group that we're focusing on. Mm-hmm. But this is something that's quite prevalent in many places. Um, people have sort of moved to another country, perhaps been come successful there, and would maybe like to pay some of this forward to, to women in their home country as well. Mm. And so that's where we're seeing the potential for actually making a, a global Lucy network, ultimately. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. And especially, you know, I know you're launching in Singapore as well next year. I think this would also be kind of a great like way to kind of explain as well as like the app itself, the resources that it provides. So I think I remember I read it's uh, banking mentorship. It's like an end-to-end platform. Can you give more context on what the app does? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the core what we have is an account, a fee-free current account, if you like, with an attached debit card. So this is available to all groups of women, but our kind of core focus 
at least for phase one of what we're doing, is for foreign domestic workers and home-based entrepreneurs. For foreign domestic workers, they have quite a range of unique challenges as far as being underbanked is concerned. And so we've recognized what the challenges are and the problems that it causes, and so we've designed a range of services specifically to help on that side of things. For phase one, what we're enabling them to do is, as I say, to have this fee-free account with a branded MasterCard, and this will enable them also to buy things online, which they can buy at Filipino websites, for example, and actually have directly delivered to their family members, which gives them more control over their own money yeah. rather than just sending it home through a remittance and it don't really have any visibility on how that's spent. Mm-hmm. We are enabling very low-cost transfer-wise type pricing as well for digital remittances, yeah. which will, of course, save money but also a lot of time because at the moment it takes probably at least two hours, I would say, to go to Lucky Plaza or Peninsula Plaza or wherever and back mm-hmm. to spend money. The other area that we've been looking at is the relationship between the foreign domestic worker and her employer. Um, At the moment, if foreign domestic workers have financial emergencies, for example, there's a cyclone and the roof blows off the house at home or her dad's gone into hospital, often they need money in a hurry, right? But they only have two options for this at the moment, one of which is their employer, like you and I, and the other one of which is the loan shark. That's it. Right, no other options. And borrowing from your employer when you also live in the same house as your employer can be socially a little bit awkward, right? And so what we've done is we're we're setting up the ability for the helper to be able to draw down on her salary Mm -hmm. at any time during the month without needing to ask. So it's not a loan because she'll be able to draw down up to the number of days she's worked so far in the month. So today is the 15th, so she'd be able to draw down 15 days of salary because technically she's earned it. There's no interest for this, and so it kind of gets rid of the social awkwardness. If she just needs $100, a couple of hundred dollars in a hurry, she can do that, and then she'll be able to immediately send it overseas or pay for whatever she has to pay for. We're also digitizing the loans that are given very often between employers and their helpers. Mm -hmm. This tends to be a very informal arrangement right now. It's scribbled down on a piece of paper. The piece of paper is stuck in the kitchen drawer. It probably gets lost or somebody spills coffee on it or whatever. And then you forget, like, which which installments have been paid. Did I remember to deduct it from the salary last time around? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're digitizing that whole project process as well, which involves generating a proper loan schedule, proper loan agreement, and doing automatic salary deductions and showing when the instrument's been paid again to kind of it's streamlining something that's being done already but it's also reducing the awkwardness because it's on a properly structured basis so these are the kind of areas that we're focusing on first of all as well as what we call a named savings pocket this will enable the helper to set up little savings pockets or jars to give them names of what she's saving towards to put a goal against them Mm -hmm. and to keep money in each of those so she can have as many as she likes for different purposes and this is kind of going back as well to what happens very often in developing countries when people are very much in a cash economy that they actually do literally keep separate jars and there's a jar for the kids school fees there's a jar for fixing the roof there's a jar for 
their daughter's wedding, whatever it happens to be. So it's in effect mimicking that because it makes it much easier to save if you've got separate areas and a goal that you can see how you're achieving your goal. So that's one area. For the micro-entrepreneurs, there's a bit of overlap in that the micro-entrepreneurs often tend to be employers of foreign domestic workers as well. Mm-hmm. So they're running a business from home. Quite a number of unique challenges there, one of which is keeping business and personal money separate. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly difficult. It tends to get a little bit mixed up sometimes. But also things like basic sort of accounting, say access to tools to actually help them to run a better business, being connected to the mentoring network and centered around as well this fee-free account with the, the attached MasterCard and the ability as well to have these pockets, but these pockets could be for a different purpose, like paying your corporation tax bill, for example. Yeah, all those things that people always forget they've got to do. And so, again, putting money aside for different things as well. So it's kind of aimed to help them to be more structured about the way that they're running the business. So these are our phase one offerings. We've got quite a number of other things coming in later around business building tools and things that would actually be linked in around the peer and mentoring network. And then ultimately, probably the second half of next year, we'll be looking to move into other countries too. First of all, in Southeast Asia. Yeah, I feel like you've done such a good job really putting yourself into the consumer or like the customer. You've gone to great lengths to really, you know, talk about how they need a loan right away, right? Or they need to send home right away. Like there are so many things that I think large institutions don't really think of um, when they think of a specific mm-hmm. customer or an entrepreneur in mind. So uh, I think it's great that you guys have really thought this out so thoroughly and even though it's just phase one I feel like that phase one is like packed with so many great features and it's already like (laughs) this amazing app that I cannot wait to check out um, which I've also subscribed to Lucy's um, yeah newsletter so oh great yeah I think you know this is what we see as being really important and I've spoken about this quite a bit recently is about the importance for us in seeing our seeing the world through other people's eyes Mm. and that is the approach that we're taking is to actually see like what is life like for that person Mm. not what our perception of what life is like but what is it really like you know what is their day-to-day challenges what are their aspirations what are their aims and so forth but very much through their eyes and this is the approach that we're going to be continuing to take I mean just to give you a small example as well about Three years ago, I was invited by a company that was doing small business lending in Johannesburg for women mm-hmm. to come and do a workshop for them for a week on exactly this was the kind of the product design. And they said, well, look, we've got one group. We have one market segment, which is female entrepreneurs. And we have one product, which is loans for female entrepreneurs. But we kind of think that we're missing something and that maybe we need to be more tailored. So could you come out and have a look and and tell us if we're missing a gap? And we had a great session, actually, because they had the whole, pretty much the whole company came and they literally closed the doors for a few days. And within, like, I think the first morning of the workshop, what we'd identified was their one segment that they were talking about was actually six segments. Wow. All of whom were very different. And it was kind of once they realized this, they said, oh, well, now we're seeing, of course, like if we're trying to do one product for all these people and these people are so different, actually the one product is probably 
okay-ish for most people, but it's not particularly great for anybody. Because it sort of fits, but it doesn't. And that's why, you know, one of my sayings is one size fits all. It's really one size fits none. Yeah. And people take it because it's maybe better than the alternative, but it's not really as good as it could be. Yeah. And so over the course of the week, we built out a completely new structure of what people actually needed based upon the stage that they were at and their evolution and what kind of business they were running. And it just really helped them then to kind of see that there were actually very different needs. And this is one of the things that we're aiming to do is we want to be partner for this small business on their growth, right? During their kind of their growth trajectory. And the way that we can do this is to actually recognize at what stage they're at and where they want to get to next so that we can actually think about what do they need at this particular point in time. And so it's the approach really is also about the evolution of what we're offering them to evolve to their own evolution. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome that you guys did like a product design workshop. Is that something that you did here in Southeast Asia as well when you were building out Lucy? Or how did you know get on the ground floor and kind of, you know, figure out what these people are thinking. So I've done these workshops in many different countries, actually. People that hire me in Johannesburg had seen me giving a short version in Mexico. (laughs) Ended up all over the place. I did one in Bangladesh, one in Ethiopia, one in Kyrgyzstan. I mean, kind of all over the place. And so what I did is leveraged like the, the materials that I developed, which yeah. kind of a whole structure mm-hmm. for doing this approach, and then kind of switched it into looking at other groups. And say that the trick of this is not to go in with any preconceived ideas of what you think people want, yeah. because the temptation is then try and retrofit your thinking yeah. to back up the fact that you are right, which is not the approach. The approach is mm-hmm. to not go in with any ideas at all mm-hmm. and actually understand what's going on and it's really really difficult to do Um, most people find it very very difficult because they tend to look to the solution and then try to justify that their solution is the right one so yeah what I've done is leveraged the way that I've done these kind of things in the past Mm -hmm. to actually really dive down and, and understand what's needed and that's kind of why you know when we first had the idea for Lucy there was not particularly specific segments in mind at all it was just women are underserved particularly female entrepreneurs are underserved but we know of course that what the groups are or the segments in each country is going to be very different and the challenges facing them in each country is going to be very different and therefore let's look we want to start in Singapore almost just as a pilot but Actually, what happened once we started looking, we realized that there were huge gaps in the financial services that women here were able to get as well. And so, yeah, that's been very much the approach of actually sort of speaking in depth and getting real kind of deep insights. Yeah, that's great. I think the way that you've mentioned it is also it reminds me of not going into it being prescriptive, like not (laughs) trying to force your ideas onto someone, but really going in thinking of the consumer or the person in mind. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a workshop that should be taught <laughs> to many businesses. <laughs> yeah, you know, and of course what, what tends to happen is like, say often people will sort of design a solution based upon people like them. Mm, because yeah. that's easier, right? Mm-hmm. If you're kind of thinking, what do people like me need? Mm-hmm. That's easy because you can kind of put yourself in their shoes much easier. Yeah. 
the difficult part is actually putting yourself in somebody's shoes who's nothing like you at all. No, that's a great way of thinking of it. And yeah, I am really excited to see where you're going to take Lucy. I have, you know, one last question to kind of round out the interview. And it's sure. just, yeah, more about the women investors right, on the team. So I think I was reading a Tech in Asia article and there are 18 participating women investors. So, mm-hmm. you know, like even just talking to you and looking at the website, like Lucy is going far, right? There's going to be so much encouragement and support. So I guess for me, I'm like, you know, you're launching it next year. Where do you hope to take Lucy and what are you most excited about? All right, where do we hope to take Lucy? I think anywhere that has a problem, and actually it's everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not a developing world problem. It's not a developed world problem. It's not a problem for hairdressers or web designers. It's kind of a sort of quite wide-ranging. And and what's been very interesting is the more people I've spoken to, because I know people in lots of different countries, they're saying, bring it to Pakistan, we need it here. Someone else has said, like, bring it to Argentina, we need it here. I've had people said, well, we need it in England. And so the ultimate aim is really to go global. And as I say, by, by because connecting people at all different levels, of course, there are more things that join us than separate us, of course, as well. Yeah. And I do believe now, of course, with global connectivity, people are able to feel connected more with people over the other side of the world more than they have done in the past. So that's the ultimate aim really is to take this to anywhere that there is a need. But to follow the same approach, of course, is that what women running small businesses from home in the UK might need is not going to be the same as women in the Philippines might need or women in Ethiopia might need. And that's the key thing as well is to be going to keep it very personal. Yeah. And I think this would be a big aim as well is, you know, as companies grow, the temptation is to lose that personal aspect, mm-hmm. you know, which is one of the reasons that some of these very small community banks or credit unions in countries tend to be so successful because they're very niche and personal. And because we're digital, of course, yeah. we're not going to meet our customers in general, not anyway face to face. So we've been spending a lot of time as well is thinking about, like, given that we're not going to meet people, how do we make it feel personal and how do we make sure that we kind of really absorb ourselves and learn about them um, so that we can make sure that we stay relevant wherever we happen to go? Yeah, no, I think that's great. And again, it's the personal touch that I feel like when you bring in a consumer, they become part of your community and it's yes. just great environment where you nurture that relationship with them so um, yeah I mean and that's really the approach yeah and I can definitely see it going global so I'm very excited to see where you take it Um, I think that's you know my last question but do you have any last words that you want to say to anyone who might want to contact you or just help out or reach out anything just connect with me I'm always happy to talk if people would like to look at partnerships if they'd like to contribute in some way then absolutely I'm happy to talk to people all the time gotcha yeah and I'll link Lucy's website and your LinkedIn as well within the article and yeah have it there right we all owe it to ourselves now I think right to actually come together and to help to drive women entrepreneurs forward and so what I've been doing recently as well is building up a lot of networks just for people who are kind of interested but don't know how they can get involved and so I've had lots of calls of people who are saying this is great what you're doing like 
what can we do for you? And I'm saying, mm, I don't know, actually. <laughs> and I'm saying, well, you know, what could you do? What could I do for you? And they're like, mm, I don't know, but let's give it some thought. And actually, sort of what's, what's happened is in a couple of cases, we've had these conversations and we're like, well, it's great to know what we're doing. And somebody actually came back to me after a month and said, I haven't thought. I know what we can do together. And so I think, you know, the more that we can foster this kind of thing as well is that people start thinking about how can we actually join together to actually sort of work towards this common goal. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I definitely think there are probably a lot of women out in the community who want to contribute to Lucy somehow. So the information will be there. Um, thank you so much for your time. and this You're great welcome. Interview.